All right, and we are in. Welcome to the first premiere episode, the first episode ever of yeah. Monkeys and Playbills. So named from the fabulous song from the very bizarre musical title of show, song of the same name about musicals that ran under 100 performances. I am Jillian Willems. And I'm Paul DeGurse. And I'm so I'm I'm bursting. I'm so excited to finally be able to t- to talk about this. Absolutely, with you. this was born out of a mutual love for talking about musicals, for analyzing why musicals maybe didn't succeed mm-hmm. the way they um, possibly deserved to, or whether they deserved the amount of non recognition that they got. Yeah, um, it's usually a party game that we play, so it's been very bizarre <laughs> to have to sit on that for a couple weeks after deciding. (laughs) Like to examine it from all facets. Yeah. And to come up with my own conclusions without running them by you immediately. Absolutely. So what are we going to talk about? Which show are we going to talk about first? So as mentioned, we talk about shows that from opening to close, not counting previews or out-of-town tryouts, ran 100 performances or less on Broadway. And um, whether those shows were... Not very good, and that's why they closed, whether they were actually very successful in some regard and they closed for some other reason, Mm -hmm. or whether they are absolute disasters. Yeah. Um, And the show (laughs) we're going to be looking at today is 2017's Amelie, which closed on Broadway after 56 performances and a complete Tony Awards shutout, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, at some point. I can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) It's very interesting. It's a very fascinating, very cool thing. We're definitely not here to dunk on musicals or to shit talk. Yeah. Bad musicals, not interested in that at all. Everyone involved in the creation of these musicals are um, artists who are working at a very high level. They wouldn't be working mm-hmm. at this high level if not. But you and I both also are involved in creating things a lot of the yes. time. And even the best intentions can go awry very quickly. Totally. So. I was going to say, I think we should preface this conversation by saying like this is probably someone's favorite musical please do not take this as um us like you said like a shit talking situation this is a an analytical moment we're we're gonna experience together and we hope that in doing that it maybe sheds some light on why we only got 56 performances from the broadway production yes precisely yes totally (laughs) all right let's dive in amelie the musical (laughs) i can't even say it without laughing that's so mean okay Mm. Amelie the Musical. Uh, Previews began March 9th, 2017. It officially opened April 3rd, 2017 and closed May 21st, 2017. All at the Walter Kerr Theater, which I looked up because I I wondered if I could maybe trace some sort of curse to that space. Actually, no, though, because doubt played there. Right. And Great Gardens. And right now, Town. So I'm like... A little little show you may have heard of. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Had um, an out-of-town tryout in LA. Mm, Yes. And I believe before that, the first production of the musical, not with this cast or this concept necessarily, had its first production um, in Boston. Yes, at the Berkeley Theater. At the Berkeley. Out-of-town tryout of this production was in LA, and it's very interesting, the original Berkeley production has some real nice reviews attached to it. Yes. And it kind of seems like maybe some problems started to happen with this production in the LA tryouts. So I wanted to find like a really concise 
synopsis because I find it really hard to articulate what the show is about. Yeah. Other than saying our hero, Amelie, goes on an adventure, period. Like that's the only thing I can do to describe it. Mm -hmm. But uh, so the UK tours... uh, YouTube trailer had this really good um, caption attached Fantastic. to it. Fantastic. So You've got a great social media so it, <laughs> Yes, exactly. <laughs> and it said, Amelie is the story of an astonishing young woman who lives quietly in the world, but loudly in her mind. She secretly improvises small but extraordinary acts of kindness that bring happiness to those around her. Amelie is a woman with a killer belt, but only yeah. in her head. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a but. But when a chance at love comes her way, uh-huh, Amelie <laughs> realizes that to find her own contentment, she'll have to risk everything and say what's in her heart. Wah, wah. Totally. Sorry, I just, the minute that they're like, oh, but love will make her realize the thing. Like, I thought all the things before that would make her realize the thing. Anyway, so it's sorry. based on a movie of the um, based on a movie of the same name, a pretty yes. well-renowned French movie um, that I've seen. I've only, I've only seen once many years ago. You watched it recently, yeah, last week. But is also famously very meandering as far as plot and focus mm-hmm. goes, and very French. So French, very French movie. Charming, romantic, whimsical. French. French. These are the four <laughs> things that come to mind, and one of these things is very noticeably missing from the Broadway production. Which one is it, Paul? Um, actually, there's maybe more than one. There's yeah, one that's yeah, yeah. definitely missing, and that would be French. Yes, French is very <laughs> much missing. Charming might also be missing. Yeah. Um, it's definitely quirky. So quirky. It's super quirky. There's no question of that. <laughs> and then, oh god, it's so quirky, and I and I hate to call attention to certain things about it that might have been fixed if I would have seen it in person. Like, I think some of the things that I'm like, Uh was it whimsical? Like, maybe I would have felt that it had whimsy if I would have been there. Totally. Did we um, we hear Millie? That's that's okay. Um, Associate associate producer Millie. Supervisor Millie. Production supervisor (laughs) Millie is checking in to make sure things are going okay. Testing the levels. Um, Yeah. So since, and since it closed on Broadway, it's actually had a surprisingly significant shelf life for a mm-hmm. musical that flopped so bad on Broadway that not only didn't make it to, um, to 100 performances, but got a um, Tony shutout. So it was 2017. Because I wanted so... to bring this up. You know, we'll talk about that in a bit. Okay, let's... Um, <laughs> don't, no, we'll talk about it right now. It was a notoriously <laughs> tough year. There was the Evan Hansen and Come From oh, Away year. Okay. And the Great yeah. Comet year. Oh, So some Great heavy Comet. hitters playing. Oh, um, but just got shut out. We'll talk about that more later. Because yes, I also yes. have a lot of opinions about that year in Tony Awards history. Okay, great. Um, Which we can definitely touch on. <laughs> okay, so it opened. It ran for 56 performances. And has since then had a pretty significant shelf life. Hit a, um, a UK tour and a, um, a UK sit-down that is very well-renowned. And an Australian production that was going up before the uh, the Second Great Plague. Oh, hit, I didn't I realize. I guess something, something in Australia was getting ready to go as well. So it's done not bad for itself as a production that um, really didn't do mm-hmm. anything for itself on Broadway. And why? Like, why? Why? Well, let's talk about <laughs> it. Um, we're going to uh, go down a checklist and kind of go through different aspects of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm glad we're starting with this one because there's a lot of check marks we can give before we um, get to what at least I think was wrong. Yes. Once again, we haven't talked about this at all, so we're going to see if our heads are in the same place. <laughs> So let's talk about the book. So who wrote the book? 
Oh, what's his, his name? name was oh Craig no, Lucas. Craig, <laughs> Craig Lucas. He wrote a bunch of stuff. I oh. hadn't. Um, I wasn't. I didn't have him super in my head before this. So I did some. Um, I did some deep diving. There was a guy who um, wrote Prelude to a Kiss. Had a couple of other Broadway things that are um, just fine. <laughs> <laughs> American in Paris. Light in the Piazza is his big one. That's a nice book. It is beautiful. Yeah, that's a nice show all around. And, sorry, what was the one right before? Uh, American in Paris. Which is also romantic, French, and beautiful. So a very fascinating man, and continues to write really well. Works on Piazza, a revival of Prelude, American in Paris, and then gets attached to Amelie. So American in Paris was 2015? You got it. Yep. So... Let's say a year later, yeah. someone's like, okay, we saw that one French show yeah. that you did. Can we have you do this other French show? Because yeah. that first French show. But also was very aces. important, we would prefer that it not be French at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We would, it would be our preference that there is nothing French about this other than a few French words on signs. Yeah, and yeah. when they say those French words, I want you to write phonetically <laughs> how it would be anglicized. It's so bizarre. Sacre corps. It's so weird. For an example. <laughs> For a movie that is so French <laughs> and so charmingly French. <laughs> And maybe we're saying this from a place of like, we live in a city where there is a, a uh, huge Francophone, huge French biggest community. Francophone population in Canada outside Quebec. Yeah, exactly. So maybe our ears are just tuned to Very a bizarre. certain pronunciation um, that was missing. Other than other than that, I don't mind the book. So this is where the crossover of issues for me comes in yeah. because I go, was the book really bad or was there a lack of of clarity from the uh, direction perspective to flesh out the book. Because keeping in mind, leading to all of this, both Jill and I are kind of, what one thing we have confirmed with each other before this is there's this UK production that looks real nice. And as far as we know, not as far as we know, we can confirm that the writers are the same. Right. That they uh, maybe have made modifications since Broadway, but the writers are the same. And Craig Lewis's pedigree is a strong pedigree. I think the book's okay. I don't, the book's not the issue. Let's give it a a half, a one thumb. Up. One thumb? Oh, we're going to do thumbs. I don't know. What, <laughs> what do you think we should do? Like for I was going to like a smart 8 out of 15, Ooh. 9 out of 15. 9 out of 15. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a real scale. How about out of 10 playbills? 10 playbills. <laughs> <laughs> How many monkeys out of, yeah, out 10, of 10 playbills? Play- <laughs> I could give it. Six playbills? Six monkeys out, okay. of, out of ten playbills? Six, six and a half? Yeah, absolutely. Monkeys out of ten playbills. Okay. I take I take no issue with it. I don't mm-hmm. think it's what's hurting the show. Great. Other than the egregious francophone. Correct. Mess. Good. The music. This is very fascinating. I'm um, really excited for you to dive into this. So, Paul, can you just give our listeners an idea of why you might be the most excited to talk about the music portion of of this show. Fantastic idea. Not only am I a fan of um, musicals and Broadway-style musicals, I've made my career for the past 10 years as a musical theater uh, conductor and music director, as well as working in various other capacities of theater as a sound designer and composer. Um, So I have plenty of opinions, having spent the last 10 years doing virtually nothing but conducting and listening to musicals. So your ear is tuned to notice maybe some things that not everyone would 
be aware of on first listen or first viewing. I'd like to think so. Yeah. And so I wasn't aware of Amelie when it um when it came out. It totally slid by me on the radar. Once again, this was in a year when there was other very fascinating things happening, specifically Canadian um runaway super hit come from away enjoying mm. a very well deserved um almost a victory lap at that point already. You yes. know what I mean? They'd already at least for us in Canada it was almost a victory lap. They'd mm-hmm. already had that Broadway cast had done previews in Toronto where they just crushed it um going to Broadway um so that was very much in my head Dear Evan Hansen was starting to just crush it and that was very much in my head uh, for things that were happening Mm -hmm. which was um Pasek and Paul finally getting their dues after years of um their due after years of paying their dues yes um as composers Pasek and Paul the composers of Dear Evan Hansen and Greatest the other thing that was happening was <laughs> the famed composers <laughs> of La La Land. <laughs> oh yeah, La La Land. But that was all kind of at the same time, I think. Between that, the third one, the third nomination for Best Musical that year, mm-hmm. um, Great Comet had finally moved to Broadway with Josh Groban mm-hmm. after being an off-Broadway darling and a musical that I just adore. It is um, stunning. Absolutely. Amelie had just flown by me. With no, um, I had, I had no idea it existed. So I was only coming to it through this. I was actually surprised that it premiered in 2017. I thought it had premiered like last year. Right. So, diving in to the music. Written by a man named Daniel Massey. Very fascinating. Not someone who has composed a musical before. A, um, a lifelong musician known for his work with this Brooklyn band called Hem. Which I had also never heard of before. I checked out Hem. Hem is great. Hem's really good. Hem's this Americana folk band. Cool. They got a tiny desk concert to check out. It's really surprisingly nice and original and has a unique, strong voice, which aren't things I necessarily associate with the music in Amelie. I was just going to ask. Yeah. He was a co-lyricist. Co-lyricist with Nathan Tyson. He's part of another composing team who composed Tuck Everlasting. Oh, um, okay. Which is also, the music just kind of skates that okay the music of tuck everlasting has a little more life to it i think which actually might have been a nice thing to breathe into the amelie music yeah (laughs) a lot of this music feels like it started with some um some cute ideas but it feels like a composer who is not quick enough to keep up with the pace of Broadway out-of-town tryouts and previews and the needs of that. Mm -hmm. I based that also on an interview I read um, from him where he talks about the quick pace and how sometimes there's like a 24-hour turnaround on songs. And I think it's not even that hard to identify some of the songs that were written in the 24-hour turnaround. Yeah. I find a lot of these songs just get lost. If I might, I, I had a thought when I was watching the movie... So the soundtrack is very memorable from the film. And it has this, uh, I want to say the composer's name is Jan Tiersen, but I could be wrong. But if we could maybe look that up. So. We'd just like to confirm that <laughs> Jill did in fact pull Jan Tiersen and was correct. We confirmed it in the pause there. <laughs> so Jan Tiersen wrote this amazing score for this movie mm-hmm. that really has an ability to heighten each of these moments so um all these like adventure moments that amelie yep has these sort of sneaky fun good samaritan things that yeah. that she does are accompanied by this really like quirky whimsical yeah, yeah. um bubbly almost music and i feel like the entire 
musical, just it didn't have those textures. It didn't have the variety. And Dan Massey talks specifically about wanting to get away from that. He wanted to avoid the movie. And it's very fascinating. I looked, I thought at first, how the heck did this guy get this gig? Really mm-hmm. nice band, a fun band. And I want to make that very clear. I think mm-hmm. he's a talented songwriter. But really writing this super Americana roots music. So, turns out, found an interview where he talks about he was childhood friends with one of the producers. And they'd always talked about they were going to write a, write a musical together. Okay. So he got his gig. Um, <laughs> great way to get a gig. <laughs> We've all done it. Yeah. We've all done it. Absolutely. Absolutely. We work with our friends. Yeah. And that makes sense as well. If you're a, especially if you're a, a newer Broadway producer, you want to, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, you know this guy, Dan Massey, you know, he's a reliable dude, you know, he's good mm-hmm. to work with. But I think he very much got away from a lot of the things that make his writing with him charming mm. um, and into a very generic Broadway sound. On purpose. Whether it's on <laughs> purpose, I think a part of it as well is maybe the... I don't want to throw anyone throw anyone under the bus, but the arranging mm-hmm. ends up being... Um, the arranging and the orchestration especially ends up being pretty washy yes. and generic to the modern Broadway sound. It sounds a lot like Fun Home without any of Fun Home's brilliance. Oh, okay. Right yeah. down to there was a moment. Um, there's a moment <laughs> when they introduce, they bring Young Amelie back in the um, Broadway production. Which we should also, and it does it. like a bum 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 bum. It literally does the Fun Home sting, <laughs> um, and I'm like, this is the. I guess this is the sting we use for young young girls. Or this is the sting yeah, we use for twelve year old girls on Broadway now. I suppose. Does Matilda so. have one? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I actually looked up like in relation like how many years away Matilda was because I I feel Matilda like was before, wasn't it? It was much before. It was much there before. was a twenty ten in, in the UK and then a twenty thirteen or something, I think, on Broadway. There's a lot of Matilda. And I thought, this. oh maybe yeah. they maybe the producers of Amelie thought, Oh, there hasn't been a kid on Broadway in a while. Like, they're a big draw. Let's yeah. let's bring one back. <laughs> it seems like there's a lot of a lot of influence from a lot of different very successful shows over the past few years that kind of led to Amelie finding its way here and especially to this inclusion of young Amelie throughout the entire story mm-hmm. um the two big ones that jump to mind are both um Matilda there and uh, and Fun Home yeah yeah so is the music that said <laughs> is the music the problem I would say it's one of the problems yeah that's Great. what I would say. I would say it's fine. <laughs> I'd say the music is workable. And for the most part, there's not a, um, you know, I don't mind the music. I don't, I don't love it. It doesn't, like I, if I compare it to Fun Home, mm-hmm. which, because um, it, it, it is very reminiscent of Janine Tesori's mm-hmm. Fun Home. Uh, and Fun Home just blew my mind when I first heard it. I yeah. was so excited. I couldn't stop telling people about it. <laughs> um, it definitely doesn't excite me like it does... Fun home and yeah, you know I definitely I think I've I don't know if I have ever listened to this soundtrack all the way through in the two weeks we were prepping for this I tried and I couldn't <laughs> get through it in one sitting um, on like a long walk or something. You don't think that's saying something? And that and that, that, that <laughs> might be saying something. I I think I have the perfect quote to yeah. summarize how you're feeling. Yeah. So there's this New York Times <laughs> uh, review of Amelie, and. <laughs> 
At the end of the first or second paragraph, the reviewer says, quote, it neither offends nor enthralls. That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say that specifically from a musical perspective. That's exactly how I feel. It doesn't take big enough chances (laughs) to excite me. Mm -hmm. But over the course of this podcast, we're going to talk about some bad music. This is not bad music. No. Definitely not. (laughs) So not offended, not, not offended. enthralled. I would say definitely was not a savior for the musical. Right. So out of 10 playbills, how many monkeys are you giving it? Four and a half. I would agree. Yeah. Maybe five. On a good day. On in a the go- morning. The only reason I say five <laughs> is once again just delving into this UK production. And I hear it, the UK production uses these actor musos. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And I'm like, oh, this sounds cool. I hear them do a video oh, of um, Times Are Hard for Dreamers, and I'm like... stunning. That sounds awesome. Folky. So that's the one thing that makes me think maybe the songwriting is not the problem on its own. Great. So maybe let's pinpoint that the arrange the arranging was amiss. Yeah. <clears throat> the music director is Kim- Kimberly Grigsby. She's one of my favorite conductors on Broadway. She's mm-hmm. a legend. Um, she was one of the sickest conductors in the early 2000s, conducted Spring Awakening, conducted Full Monty, came up on Full Monty, conducted Spring Awakening, conducted um, Spider-Man, um, which is one of my favorite huge disasters of musicals ever, but does very good jobs. <laughs> I'm not sure if she's the arranger on this, and if so, if I'm throwing her under the bus, I'm very sorry. And Kimberly Grigsby, if you'd like to hang out at any point, I would love that. If we've learned anything from being artists, it's that it's probably not only the arranger, or only the composers. You know, it could be the design, or the direction, or the musical staging. I'll point out before we stop um, talking about this, the music, the orchestrator was a man named Bruce Coughlin, who's a fantastic orchestrator, whose orchestrations I admire a lot. Did beautiful orchestrations on um, Urinetown, did beautiful mm. orchestrations on um, doing some work on Lupin's Gypsy Revival. Oh. Um, he does a lot of beautiful work. That doesn't provide me with much more context into what went on here. Sorry, Bruce. Sorry, Bruce. We should hang out sometime. <laughs> I admire you a lot. Let's talk about musicals. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the production. I'm sorry. I have so many feelings because I watched some interviews of the creators of the Broadway production earlier this morning, and it gave me a lot to think about. Where should we begin? Who directed? Who directed? Amelie. Ah, Pam McKinnon. And then there's a musical musical staging Mm. element as well. Yes. Which, um, Jill, why don't you talk about why you're qualified (laughs) to talk about musical staging? That's Winnipeg's preeminent musical stager. (laughs) That's exactly... You know what? I hate... I don't feel I identify as necessarily a choreographer. I think I feel more comfortable calling myself a musical stager. (laughs) And you get hired hired on these gigs. Yeah. Quite often. Yeah, Yeah. where there's not necessarily (laughs) an ensemble of dancer dancers, um, but more storytelling through movement. That's... Uh, very much what I gravitate toward and what the Winnipeg theater community seems to yeah. need from me. And, poss- and also <laughs> possibly a director who is um, very brilliant, but maybe isn't totally 
comfortable directing actors and moving their bodies within music. Totally. And needs um, someone very intelligent to um, collaborate in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I think I my eye will always go to that aspect of a show. So that's musical staging on this was a man named Sam Pinkleton. Yes. So they, they actually Who called it. also does beautiful work. Which I think we should talk okay, about. So you so, you go, you start. So on this show, I think they've really smartly called Sam Pinkleton the choreographer slash musical stager. I think that's actually a really nice distinction. I yeah, think yeah. they actually could have omitted choreographer. What's the difference? So in my <laughs> mind, the difference between choreography versus musical staging is that musical staging to me is born out of more pedestrian movements that become heightened to further the story versus choreography to me feels um, a little bit more dancey. That's not necessarily the case, but I, I actually find it helpful to make that distinction. Totally. Thank you, Daphne. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that makes sense in a musical like this where it's definitely not a traditional... Follies style musical with big old chorus lines. Precisely. Um, it's very much a smaller, um, more intimate, quirky, for lack of a better word, musical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there were a lot of opportunities for physical storytelling through this show. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to start by saying that I don't believe they fully accessed all of the potential of what people in space can do for a story. I think should we should we maybe even start by we think this production was the problem. Yes. Yeah. Okay, I think that's good. a that's a good place to <laughs> to just state that outright. Yes. I think it seems like we're both on the same page mm-hmm. just hearing us talk about the the Broadway production as created by um shoot what's the director's name again? Pam McKinnon. By Pam McKinnon and Sam Pinkleton may be the problem. Yes. So you don't think that they accessed all the potential possible. Yeah, I I don't. I think they used props where they could have used people and sometimes used people where they should have used props. So I felt a little, I felt a little like it was lacking in clarity about the convention of the thing, you know? There are more props than a friggin' high school production (laughs) in this show. And a lot of them I'm like, oh, wow, they did not have time to replace the rehearsal prop. That's too bad. I wish they had more time. (laughs) Okay, can I quickly say what, what David said yeah, last please. night? This is so, Jill, Jill's partner, David, who watched it with her last night. David is a very intelligent man who uh, is not involved in theater, but has seen a lot of it yeah. in his life. And so has developed some strong opinions and thoughts about yes. what it should be. And we were watching, I mean, only made him watch the second half of Amelie. The, because as we, did, as we discussed, it was very... Both Jill and I had a very hard time getting through it. Mm-hmm. Jill had to watch it over the course of two days. Correct. I had to take the dog for a long walk in between <laughs> watching it. So we're watching the second half of Amelie, and I think we were somewhere around the part with the carousel, which is actually a beautiful moment in the film. So I mm-hmm. had a lot of hope for it. Anyway, uh, we're at that moment, and he says to me, this is worse than the production of Sweeney Todd in The Office. <laughs> <laughs> Which is which is famous like a takeoff yeah. on community theater. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it kind of it felt like that oh, in a lot God. of ways. Like 
like a community, and that's I don't want it to grade community theater, which no, is a very beautiful thing. It absolutely is. And but it had that vibe, and I was like, oh, if I paid 150 bucks for my ticket, I'd be bummed out. I would be very upset. Yeah. And I, I don't know if it was just the the perspective from which this was filmed, you know. Yeah. I, I could chalk it up to a lot of things. But anyway, I thought that was very funny, and it also encapsulated my feelings in a way that I don't think I could at that time. Yeah. Um, okay, so... Pam McKinnon's direction. Why don't we touch on that? Terrific. Yeah. I don't even know what to say. I I think I had high hopes because the cast is actually quite nice that, yep, that good. she has to work with. And so um, I thought maybe there would be a little more playfulness that she might have incited from actors. Yeah. Or like natural playfulness. Mm-hmm. You know, every. All the moments of whimsy, there's a, they're just reaching for whimsy left and right. And the whimsy feels... Forced? Forced. It feels yeah. so forced. And it feels constipated, almost. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Than, it doesn't feel effortless at any point. So there's this, in the scene work, for example. Yeah. The scene work that doesn't... That is in real time. Yeah. Um, any of those conversations almost have a dullness to them. Yeah. There's not anything bubbling under the surface that justifies the explosion of whimsy like you're talking about. So that dynamic just feels really off. Yep. So the scenes feel very flat. And then the moments that are heightened feel like they're coming out of nowhere, if that makes sense. And the cast kind of acts as this, it's got this Greek chorus thing going on, which is, once again, not bad in concept. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly, it's essential to the concept because they use it a lot. Yes. This, um, the cast kind of zooming in and out being this Greek chorus commenting on the action. But and I can't pinpoint what it is, but something about it really rubs me the wrong way here. I think if you're going to do it, you have to commit to it. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in yeah. the sense that they're always watching the thing happen. Mm-hmm. So they're on the sides of the stage, participating actively through the whole thing. Yeah. Not jumping in to sometimes be the chorus and then sometimes be their characters. It's just not cohesive as a concept. Correct me if I'm wrong. The The musical follows the plot of the movie to a fairly faithful extent. Yeah, like they play a little bit with um, the structure of the plot, yeah. but they do, I think, touch on... Almost all of the significant moments of the film. I have so much trouble following this musical. I think it's the direction and yeah. the musical yeah, yeah. staging that would not... They weren't helpful in yeah. that way. Absolutely. Yeah. And that might that might fall a bit to the book as well. But I... There was just a lot of moments where I was like, who... I've kind of... I don't... I'm not invested in this character. I've mm-hmm. lost who this character is. Um, who's the um, the woman at the cafe who sings um, yeah. a better a better oh. haircut? Gosh. Yeah, they, have, they, have, they have this 11 o'clock number called A Better Haircut. It's kind of a nice song. It's kind yeah. of cute. Is that just the one a... that's like... That's the one totally. The da, 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 song. Da, da. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it, we're like 20 minutes away from the end of the show. Yeah. Um, and everyone's like, we need the ladies to make us laugh. This absolutely. Is where, this is the moment. But I was like, who who are you? What is going right. on? I, at this point, At this point, especially in the show, I'm all in for Amelie and for... Um, Nathan from... Um, <laughs> Nino is his character, but Nathan from Next to Normal. Next to, Nathan, next to Normal. <laughs> I'm all in on them right now. Who are you? What is yeah. going on? Yeah. So that was very... And moments like that ended up being very frustrating to me. Yes. Do you think that Philippa Sue is good as Amelie? No. Mm, I can't I believe I, I said know. that, but... I feel, I, the, I feel the same. I came to this conclusion today and it bums me out as well because yeah. I love her. I think her work in Hamilton is... 
Her bananas. Yes, her vocal bonkers. agility is. Yep. Is like her pop agility is like unparalleled in musical theater Incredible right now. Voice. Incredible voice. I wonder if she was misdirected is the yep. other thing because she has this groundedness to her performance that's yeah. almost too mature. Amelie's supposed to be like twenty, yeah, and homeschooled twenty, like lived in the French countryside twenty. So and like I, and shy, shy, right? yes, yeah. So. I think it just, she had this sort of like worldliness to her that I actually don't think comes until later. Yeah. And and it really didn't serve that character yeah. for me. It's a, it's unfortunate and I, um, she had an incredible career before this. She'll continue mm-hmm. to have just a stunning career. But I don't think this performance um, helps the show at all. I think it hurts the show. I agree. As, and maybe part of it is direction as well. Yeah. Because we have, we've been kind of dancing around it. The main thing is... <laughs> This show is so afraid of being French. <laughs> this show does everything it can to not be French, which is very bizarre. Here's that New York Times review yes. once more. <laughs> Quote, no nationality or sensibility to call its own. Yes. That's, like, it's exactly how I feel about the... Production as a whole, but specifically mm-hmm. as it pertains to the yeah. French. Ostensibly, side of maybe a French nationality, because once again, they keep the French name of the cafe. Her oh, name's yeah. still Amélie Poulain. Right. Do they act, say Poulain at any point, or do they say Poulain? Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, they might as well. <laughs> I didn't even notice. I didn't listen that hard. Um, oh. But sensibility is a big thing. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about. We haven't actually seen... We didn't actually get a chance to see this UK production. We've just seen bits of it. Yes. But it, the UK sensibility. And it's such a UK story because she's inspired by the death of Princess Diana. Absolutely. Which was such a UK thing and was so affecting to the... I don't know where... If you remember where we were, we were both kids when Princess Diana passed away. Yes. I was um, at the lake. Yeah. Oh. Um, I was... I remember coming downstairs and my family... My mom was kind of upset because she's kind of a um, Anglophile. Okay. Um, but that's it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was not... A nationality shattering moment like mm-hmm. it was in the UK. Right. So for that to be an inciting thing for a character. Right. You've got to start with that United Kingdom sensibility. And it actually happens in Paris. She dies in Paris. Did she actually? Which is even closer, right? Oh, it's that's even, I didn't realize exactly, that. That's wild. Yeah, in the car accident. Yeah. So, so there's that connection as well. Yeah. That really pulls you or should, I mean, that catapults the whole story yeah. basically. So instead mm-hmm. it ends up feeling very bizarre to have... A very unnationality, and by unnationality, read American. Yeah. Character singing about how inspired they are by Princess Di and the way she led her life. Right. Doesn't ring anything close to true. Right. Ugh. So, have we addressed the things that we feel might have been the problem with this production? Do you yeah. think there's anything of note to talk about regarding design? Like, it's a big thing in the movie. She's got a best friend who's a fish, and the fish dies. Oh, God. And the guy, they, yeah. they play it as an actor wearing a big fish costume, and it looks very bad. I have so many feelings about that. It looks very that. bad. It looks so bad. I think the issue is that they make things out of nothing. Like, they take yeah. these tiny, funny, silly moments from the movie, and they go, oh, what would be great is if we could turn that into a song, when it doesn't need a song. Or, you know, it doesn't need that whole five minutes the other and this drove me crazy about the production in general where it starts off the um like the movie correct about this is young amelie this is what made her the way she is Mm -hmm. but they do this thing that 
it seems like a lot of musicals, especially Broadway musicals, because they're catering so much to tourists and to um, like Broadway stands. Mm-hmm. Did I use that correctly, Daphne? Broadway stands? Thank you. This thing that Broadway musicals do, because they cater both to tourists and Broadway stands, mm-hmm. in that they, in the first three minutes, they're like, we have to see Philippa Sue. We need to yes. see her. Right. Even though it's not, a, her character isn't going to become important. Adult Amelie's not going to become important for 15 minutes. Right. The audience will not be able to handle 15 minutes without seeing Philippa Sue. Correct. So she pops in right at the top. Yeah. Essentially waves at the audience. <laughs> Literally, hi, I'm Philippa Sue. See you in 15 minutes. Yeah. Wave and disappears. And it drives me crazy. What are we doing? It is so strange. <laughs> that is very strange. You're right. Oh, jeez. Oh, there was something else. Oh, I think, I don't know if this pertains maybe the book or the staging or what but the film feels like so the film uses a narrator which is something that I actually think is quite useful or could have been quite useful in the stage production so there's this old man that lives in her building I think Um, which is a character we also have in the um, musical so we have this character in the musical and I think he would have just been like the perfect character to be the narrator Because he ultimately is the one who pushes her toward her destiny. So she's busy this whole time pushing other people to, you know, find closure, to move on, to, you know, do all these things and discover. And he's actually that person for her. And we don't get that relationship in the musical the way that I think I felt it in the film. And I think maybe if they would have made him the narrator, we could have had a little more of that jaunty, fun, um, peppy book that would have served the show even more. There is also one more thing we're forgetting. Oh dear, what? King of Pop and Broadway oh legend no. Elton John makes an appearance in this show. <sighs> apropos of nothing. For no reason. There is no literally reason. an Elton John number where one of the ensemble members does a comes out dressed as um, 70s era Elton John. Oh god. And does a Elton John-ish gospel. number, a gospel it's number. It's yeah. Um, I, once again, I hadn't seen this movie. I haven't seen Amelie the movie in years. So I had to look it up and like, is that a thing? No. In Amelie? No. An Elton John bit? No. Nope. A hundred times no. <laughs> it is no. <laughs> it's not a bit. Should never have been a bit. Inexplicable. That is, I literally, <laughs> if we are trying to find the context for which these decisions were made... <laughs> There was no amount of Googling that I could do that found any kind of context for why he does an Elton John bit. If you are a person who was in the room <laughs> when that decision was made, please... <laughs> please send please us an reach email. Out. Please send us an email. Contact us, <laughs> you know, through Instagram, through any... Uh, through mail, we'll carrier We would be very interested to know. We just need to know <laughs> why. Unlike I had seen, because I listened to the soundtrack several times... Um, before giving it a watch, mm-hmm. and I'd been and I'd heard kind of and I and I'd read the reviews before, and I was like, "Oh, so there's, there's like an Elton John-ish bit where maybe he does some Elton John moves." Oh, like where a character in the show does does like a joking Elton John. Per- and like, I'd identified the song, and I was like, okay, "Oh, yeah, so yeah. he must do." I don't know. I don't know what I thought, but like, oh, it kind of <laughs> sounds like Elton John. So yeah. that's what they're talking about. But it's a full on like Vegas style impersonation. Is it because? Because I'm just thinking now about where that connection might have been forged. But I'm like, do you think it's because like Elton John and Princess Diana had some sort of like friendship that maybe they they were like trying to reconnect to like why Amelie's on the journey? She's imagining Elton John 
Yeah. But still. Yeah, like a Zuna yeah, candle. Candle in the wind. Like he was at her wedding, I think. Like I, I know that they were friends, so so let's you assume are... that they were trying to do that. <laughs> you and I both, outside of being uh, musical theater professionals, are both history and pop culture history buffs. My minor Love history it. and pop culture history buffs. Yes. So I feel like I'm more of that than the regular tourist going to see Amelie. Absolutely. And I didn't make that connection till just now. Right. So that's how you know <laughs> yeah. that it's not the direction you should go. That's how you oh. should gauge it. Bring in your one of your more informed audience members and say, do you get this? That was when, that was when I started to get grumpy. <laughs> yeah. I started to get grumpy about the show. Yeah. I was around And, then. and yeah. then I thought, okay, is this so we can hear Philippa Sue Skrelt? Was the other thing. Because I'm like, oh, she does a nice little riff. I guess we... We get a little something. Yeah, hear her sing plenty in this show. I she know. sings, times are hard for dreamers. She navigates her break like nothing else. Yeah, it sounds Yeah, but that's incredible. a mix, Paul. We need a full scroll. Right. The fact... It's in her rider. Man, just <laughs> listen to the Hamilton soundtrack five yes. times. She sounds incredible. Go do that instead. Good, yes. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't need Elton John. We Good. didn't need Elton John. Okay, so we've talked about the book. Yep, we the music. We talked about the music. The production. We touched on the production. Um, the last one we have on the list is the concept. I think the concept's good. I think the idea of an Amelie musical is strong. I agree. Yep. I agree more after having watched a couple clips of the UK tour. Maybe now's the time to talk about this UK tour in yes. a little more detail. Jill sent this to me via text message this morning. Um, after I'd spent the night being like, <laughs> I am going to talk about how... I really don't like this musical and I think the concept mm-hmm. is bad. Yeah, you um, were stewing. I was stewing. <laughs> Admittedly, it's a sizzle reel you sent me. Mm-hmm. But it looks very charming. It mm-hmm. does um, actors playing musical instruments, which in general I'm, I've been very frustrated with in recent years. I think it gets overused. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a lot of productions that do it real well. Yes. Um, big fan of Once, as we all are. Yeah. Big fan of, like we discussed, big fan of um, Natasha Pierre. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, man, it looks nice. Some things I noted from the, um, just watching the sizzle reel and doing some research, mm-hmm. they cut the kid. That's right. She's a puppet. She's a puppet. Which, and the fish, also a puppet. They went all in on the puppets and, and it looks awesome. Oh, it's yeah. clean and clear. Like, I can already see the story forming before me without even sitting through an hour and 50 minutes of it. And usually my problem with actor musicians is it creates this kind of uncontrolled sound. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this kind of uncontrolled, scrappy sound, which doesn't always work. It works really well in Once, it works really yeah. well in Great Comet, and man, it sounds awesome here. It sounds, it's, it's exactly what the show needs. If our problem with the music was that it's this, it's bland, mm-hmm. this gives the music just the kick it needs yes, um, to really sing. And yes. The woman playing Amelie, I wish I had her name in front of me uh, right now. Audrey, oh, uh, it's like Brissard or... Um, Jill pull, pulled again, Audrey Brissard. Oh, well, almost. I, I knew her first name, yeah. Audrey, because it's the same as mm-hmm. the woman who stars in the film. And it's worth noting, she's not a francophone. Okay. I'm, I watched an interview with her, she's, um, she's very, very much a British performer. You're kidding me. Um, but oh. just, there is this UK sensibility... And she's got this, rather than having like a Broadway power mix, like mm. Philippa Sue, who's the queen of the Broadway power mix, has this 
weird cranberries thing going on. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, it's very folky. It's like, very folky. let's not hide my break. Let's... Let's crack over the break. Crack, let's... Um, like, yeah. like, like cranberries. Like zombie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, was a, that was a really good that was a, impression. I, I, I've been working on my cranberries quite a bit. It was really nice. <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds very cool. Yes. That, uh, coupled with the newly fleshed out orchestrations by these actors, I yep. think it really adds to it's it's almost like a music box like it just feels it's enchanting to listen to i think it was times are hard for dreamers that i saw initially yeah with all of the actors playing the instruments and this video it's like them in a living room or something yeah and she's like on top of the upright i just watched that today it's incredible it's magic yeah i would watch the score sung that way it's a very bizarre i've never seen this before a production that did so badly on broadway and I see this production and I can't stop thinking about it and I want to go see it. You know what I mean? Are there any other productions of anything that you can think of off the top of your head that had an even better, I don't know what we'd call it, a renaissance? <laughs> Second That life. did this badly on Very few things that do this badly on Broadway see the light of day again is the problem. That is true. That's a good point. That not only don't make the 100 performances, but get a Broadway shutout or a Tony Award <laughs> shutout rather. Yeah. Did they get a nod at least for like best costumes? Shut out. Completely? Complete shut out. Yeah. Not even the big ones. Maybe. Okay. But maybe Broadway forgot. Ha! <laughs> Just forgot that they were in the like Walter maybe, Pair. Because <laughs> like you, because you missed Amelie. Yeah. I, I missed Amelie. Oh, I was too busy focusing on Come From Away. And, and I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming because they always do that thing four years before. They're like, wait for it. Yeah. Here it comes. A musical adaptation of a film you love. Yeah. And then you forget that it's going to happen and then it opens and closes and you're like, yeah. oh, there it went. But I feel like maybe Broadway felt the same. Oh, we, I'm so sorry. Oh, we forgot. We about... forgot to even include this in voting. Yeah. <laughs> Our bad. Goodbye, Amelie. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Because they um, yeah. immediately after getting, like the shutout was their last hope. And they, um, there's a New York Times article where immediately after the shutout, they posted closing. Oh. Yeah. Like they were hoping so that maybe upsetting. at least Philip Sue would get a um, sure. would get a nod and that would maybe boost them through a few more months and get them over a hundred, get them to make money back. Oh dear. Yeah. And it is sad. It's worth noting we're never laughing about this. It's a bummer. A lot of people work on yeah. um, work on musicals. A lot of people work on big old productions. And those people got laid off, and that's real tough. Yeah. And that sucks. Yeah. That said, on the other hand, the creators of Amelie are, I think, doing very well for them for themselves. Mm-hmm. Their stuff that um, the stuff that they created for this is seeing a much better representation, mm-hmm. and like I mentioned, people like Philippa Sue are going to do just fine for themselves because yes. she's a stunning talent. Absolutely. Okay, so we talked about the music, the book, the direction uh, slash production in general. We've talked about some of the performances yeah. and some of the other productions, mm-hmm. or I guess we mentioned that they existed, and then. Yeah. Uh, Got really excited about the UK tour. Yep. Which I think is probably... And the UK tour was very recent as well, wasn't it? It was just in the past year or two? I want to say last year or the year before, like the fall before. So I don't don't think there's ever a chance we're ever going to see it, even if we had the money to travel to the UK. Sad. Um, And of course, everything is shut down now. So who knows what the future of that looks like. I know you couldn't see this, but Paul raised his glass of yucky, shitty Shitty, whiskey. Shitty Irish whiskey. (laughs) To the fact that things are shut down. Shut it was down. a toast. And we will absolutely 
live again because everyone yeah. is very eager to see shows. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I have faith that the Australian cast of Amelie, which I think is the cast that's coming up, will see the stage and it'll be beautiful. Yes. And I can't wait to travel to Australia to see that. <laughs> yeah. Never. So we didn't, I don't think, rate the direction slash musical staging on a scale of monkeys to playbills. Yep. So out of your 10 playbills, Paul, how many monkeys? I think you should start with this one because you yeah. are the musical staging expert. I am going to go with a two and a half, maybe a three, depending on how much wine I've had. I'm going to say, I'm going to be more generous. I'm going to say a four. But I'm going to subtract an entire monkey for Elton John. <laughs> <laughs> he probably has a pet monkey. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure he does. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't need your monkey. <laughs> so, Paul. Yes. We've been talking uh, on a scale of monkeys to playbills, but yep. we actually have one final grading system. I love it that I think will really serve us through this yes. podcast. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? I would love to. Um, so we're thinking we have three different categories that we are going, if we're going to rule a verdict on this musical, we're going to try to classify it in one of three categories after talking through it for about an hour like we just have. <laughs> Is it a flop? Is it a bop? Or do we need to make it stop? So flop means this was not a good musical and we've identified the reason why. Mm-hmm. Bop means this is actually a fantastic musical. This is actually surprisingly good. Mm -hmm. Um, And there is a very specific reason we can identify why this didn't do very well. Make it stop means this is an unmitigated disaster. (laughs) This is... On all levels. On all levels. We enjoy talking about this musical for the same reason we enjoy watching The Room or whatever. Which I have not seen. Sometime we should sit down and watch The Room. It's a treat. It's very fun. It's very fun. Um, And very bad. So... We might have different feelings about the category that this one falls into. And yep. I, do you want to go first or should I? You go first. Okay, I'll go first. I'm a little torn, to be honest with you. I am you. too. Okay, so maybe we do share our feelings. I was very confident in my opinion until this morning when I started looking into this UK production. Precisely. Yep. So let's maybe, okay, we talked about extensively about the Broadway production. Yep. So I think I'm going to rate the Broadway production. We have to. That's as what we a, have to do. As a make yep. it stop. I don't want anything to do with it. And I have so many wonderful memories of the film that it feels, it feels so yucky to watch. And I'm going to say, also talking about the Broadway production, because we have to cap it there, I was just going to call it a flop. Mm. It's not a disaster. I don't (laughs) laugh when I watch it. I'm just grumpy that I spent $150 to see it and it wasn't very good. Time to go get a papaya dog and watch some jazz or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what else do you do in New York? Shake Shack. <laughs> go to Shake Shack, exactly. <laughs> Try to salvage the night. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. I think you're a little, you're so much more positive in regards to it than I am. But I also <laughs> no. have, more, I have stronger feelings about the movie than I think you do. Absolutely. So. I've seen the movie once five years ago. Right. Yeah. As far as the piece in general, though, this UK production looks like a, Kind of looks like a bop. I would agree. Yeah. I'm, I'd be excited to see it. I hope they release a cast recording. I hope they have a chance to make a cast recording yeah. at some point. I'd be excited to listen to it. Mm-hmm. Since this morning, I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. And that's a pretty positive sign. It is. Absolutely. Yeah. So I I just have one last kind of question about this. Because yeah. I, I also think this we can carry this forward into the next and the next and the next. 
But my question is, did this story need to be a musical? No. My opinion is no. Right. I think that this UK production has shown that there's something beautiful there. If either of us found ourselves in a position where we could work on a production of it, I think there's a lot of beauty to be had there. Mm -hmm. The honest to God truth is the creation of it seems like cashing in on a well-known beloved movie. Right. That's my opinion. Yep, I would agree. And I think it's a really great way to think about why we're creating musical theater in general. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Because it's very easy to look at the body of work and go, it's so saturated. And then you're like, did this even need to happen? My final thought is, I just want to call to mind one more time how fascinating it is that this musical premiered and got shut out of, I would say, the last enormous Tony year pre-pandemic. Mm. Um, who knows what Broadway theater or the Tonys are going to look like post-pandemic, but I'd say 2017 was the last year when we had these enormous heavy hitters, these two shows, mm -hmm. both Evan Hansen and Come From Away, that up until pandemic times were still just crushing it. Yeah. Yeah. On Broadway. Um, the two, and were both original musicals as well. Right. To not even have a showing in a year that was the three best musical noms were two original musicals and one loose, incredible adaptation of a famously long Russian novel. Uh, I think you should specify that it was only a portion of the yes. famously was... huge Russian novel. <laughs> Natasha okay. Pierre and the Great Comet is a port based on a portion of War and Peace and starred Josh Groban. And then... And Philippa Sue was in the... Uh, I knew that. Was she in the workshop or the... In, I think, the original Off-Broadway. Original Off, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there anything else you feel you need to touch on regarding this musical? The Gnome. Just I... kidding. We don't need to go there. <laughs> the Gnome is kind of dumb. That's kind of a dumb bit. Gnomes can stay in the garden. Yeah. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. <laughs> Once again, we've been Jillian Willems and Paul DeGurse. In case you forgot, in case you forgot. I'm the Jillian. <laughs> if there is a musical you'd like to hear us talk about, once again, our criteria is ran for 100 performances or under on Broadway. That's not counting previews. That's from opening to closing. For now, for next week, we're going to talk about the musical adaptation of everyone's favorite Christian Bale movie. Is it Batman? Unfortunately, it's not Batman. No. We're going to talk about American Psycho. I am so excited. Absolutely. We're going to talk about Benjamin Walker. We might talk about Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson a little bit. Because Benjamin Walker. We might talk about Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter a little bit. No. We're, we're not going there. We will not be talking we about that talk at about all. We can talk about Abraham Lincoln, period. We're going to do our research on Duncan Sheik's American Psycho. <laughs> we're so excited. Join us next time. Thank you. Thank you. Hi everyone, this is producer Daphne speaking. Thank you all so much for joining us for our first ever episode of Monkeys and Playbills, the show where we take a look at Broadway shows that had 100 performances or fewer before closing. If you have a show that you'd like us to cover, you can get in touch with us at monkeysandplaybillspod on Instagram or monkeysandplaybillspod at gmail.com. Original music for the show is provided by Paul DeGurse and the show is produced and edited by Daphne Van Laysen. Thank you all so much for listening and join us next week where we take on American Psycho. 